Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The season of endurance has commenced as 500 qualifying is complete with Mark Winterbottom and Jamie Winkup taking up the front row for tomorrow's event. Um, you've still got two drivers for 161 laps, so whether it's split races... It's the night before the 500 and we set the field as the lights go out on this special edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Friday practice saw Frosty and Stephen Richards taking the top spot with Lowndes Winkup second and Jason Richards and Cameron Conville third. The big shock was that Paul Morris had pulled the pin on driving with Russell Engel, transferring Tim Slade to run in the 39 Super Cheap Auto Racing car. Engel explained the decision. Yeah, Paul Morris has decided to stand aside from the 39 Super Cheap car. Uh, he'll be now piloting the uh, 67 car with Owen Kelly. main reason is um, just physically can't fit in the car fact of life that the dimensions of both of us are completely different he's a lot taller and we, we just can't fit comfortably in the car he started to cramp up in in the practice session so he's uh, he's doing it for the best of the team and we're going to bring Tim Slade across from the 67 car into mine Tim's been racing the second super cheap car all year so I'm sure he'll do a good job bit of a change around at the last minute but I don't think it's going to affect their performance on Saturday, qualifying A, Paul Dumbrell was the class of the field. Um, I guess, you know, it's just another, another, another race, really. Like, you know, it's great to have Paul, great, static about it, good for the team. Um, but obviously now we just got to really focus on making sure we get the car to last over, you know, a, a long-distance race. I was, even though we've got a short race today, um, you know, the real uh, paydays tomorrow afternoon. Mark Winterbottom was the fastest of all drivers in qualifying B. On race A, Todd Kelly got the jump and took out his first race win as a team owner, leading all 14 laps. One of the most, you know, emotional races of uh, of my career. You know, this is a car that we built. It's a Cali Racing car, and um, and the amount of work that's gone in to get us to this point has been huge. You know, the boys they worked extremely hard. Just this week, they were there till two in the morning, a few nights in a row. And you, you know, you watch them do that, and we we can't give them. You know, I haven't been able to give them a decent result for the year. So uh, at all, you know, at all is worthwhile when you can do that and, and uh, all that hard work and the emotion sort of builds up so hopefully this is a bit of a turning point for us now and uh, we've got the car where we need it to be and there's no reason why we can't you know, find even get it more inside the window and carry it for the rest of the year now. Kelly managed to keep the hard-charging Lowndes behind him. Lowndes saying that poor starts from his competitors paved the way for his good result. One of those things that I thought about when I was on the grid there is, is all the, I suppose, the, how do you describe them, the, the non-championship drivers, try to be polite with it, um, and not used to, obviously, the start procedures. So they're going to have a lot more, and our guys are the same. Um, they're not going to be used to you know, what to feel, what noises to look for, what clutch, clutch pressure, what RPM, all that sort of stuff. So I actually thought the guys around me, there was a couple of guys, obviously, like Luffy and 
and, and a few others that, that don't generally start all the time that may struggle. But you know, um, Stevie J was a bit of a surprise because normally he gets away to a good start. So, um, yeah, but it, look, it was great for us. We had a much better car then. Qualifying, it was, to be honest, it wasn't anywhere near as where, we, where I wanted it to be. Jamie managed to get a lot better time out of it than I did. I just sort of got frustrated with it. But, um, you know, today showed that we now, uh, the, sorry, the race showed that we can now turn it around and, and go back to a good, good race car, which we've got now got. Will Davison wrapped up the top three, also making the most of being up front. Paul Dumbrell had a disappointing run, dropping back off the start, eventually finishing in sixth position. Stephen Richards pitted from fifth place to get his stop out the way, along with 15 of the 32 runners, including McConville, Gaunt, Wood, Patrice, Leantando, Ritter, Scaife, Lufnoski and Holsworth. But if you had a car that had Fujitsu on it, you were out of luck, with Brad Lowe having dramas from the start and Carl Reinler in the Bright Falcon spun on lap number one. Both Reinler and Bright were less than happy with the result. I'm assuming it was uh, Morris and uh, yeah, it's just unnecessary, I think. I mean, it's the first lap of a race. Everyone's single file going into MG. It's a you know, first or second gear corner. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty disappointing. Morris, you know... What, what more would we expect from him? He's, he's done it so many times now. Um, you know, it's just a just a shame that that, that uh, Carl was anywhere near him. Um, but the guy doesn't deserve to be out there. So race B and an incident between Wall, Riccadillo, Jason Richards, and Nathan Pretty brought out the safety car on lap two. Then a spin by Greg Murphy on the restart cost him any chance of a good result. Unfortunately for Kelly Racing, Rick Kelly's exhaust fell off, which saw the A race winning car brought to pit lane and retiring from the race. Jason Bright was muscling his way through the field to eventually finish in the third position, but it was Mark Winterbottom with a light-to-flag victory that paved the way for his pole position. Yeah, both of us did a, a solid job, and um, thankfully Richo pitted and gave me the open air, and uh, it was nice to race a couple of cars. I knew who I was racing, but obviously the car was pretty good as well. So, um, yeah, great to be on pole, and... Obviously, LNH is a sponsor of ours, so they're at, you know, it's their event. In other news now, LNH has announced that they will be extending their sponsorship of the 500 for a further two years. Tony D'Alberto talked about his hopes for the Enduros being in a smaller team. Uh, we're not going out there to win the race, but uh, we're definitely going out there to try and finish in the top ten in both. And um, the car's going well, so I can't see why we can't. He's working with Andrew Thompson, who came to the team as a late replacement for Glenn Seaton. Yeah, Andrew's going really well. He, he actually pit me in that qualifying session, little bugger. So he's been, uh, he's been working away at it all weekend and then and put it together really well in that session. So we actually found a couple of things with the car. So uh, Andrew is happier and hopefully it'll, it'll translate into my times as well. But yeah, we get on really well. I've raced with Andrew since I've been a kid. So uh, we had quite a few battles few little uh, touch-ups here and there but you know we're, we're going okay and the uh there's a bit of a height difference but you know we're managing without a without putting insert in the seat so that's good um you know and, and andrew knows his role as co-driver so I'll, I'll take on the responsibility and and hopefully we can bring it home so with this qualifying system in its second year do the drivers like the idea of having championships points awarded for the qualifying races Mark Witterbottom and Steve Richards explained. Oh, for, for me, I think it um, doesn't matter, I think, because, uh, you know, Bathurst, it's 300 points to win there and um, you've still got two drivers for 161 laps. So whether it's split races, um, one long race, it doesn't really matter, you know. I think they, they should be part of the championship and 
people, you know, fans want to come and watch a race Saturday, and if it's not for championship points, um, you know, it probably won't have the same meaning. So um, you know, tomorrow is probably just as exciting as Sunday and for different reasons, and you have to put championship points on it to to make it, um, you know, have the credit that it should have. No, I mean, every race should count. Every race we do during the whole year should count for points to the championship. That's That's why we do it. You know, gone are the days where we... You now we spend uh, time going to races just to just to run around. I mean, the Grand Prix is the exception. We understand the reasons behind that, but um, you know, every race we go to should count towards the championship. Overseas now, and former series champion Marcus Ambrose this week participated in a sprint car race at Tony Stewart's Eldora Speedway. Marcus explained what the event was about. Yeah, all the guys, all the drivers take it really seriously. You know, everybody wants to try and do well there. You get a lot of people that tune in um, and buy the, the TV for it. Uh, it's a pay-per-view TV event. It raises over a million dollars uh, for charities, for Tony's charities, and this year it was supporting the Army. So it was a great cause. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah, really exciting to be included in it. You know, it's a it's, um, pretty selective territory up there. you got to get invited by, um, you know, the best drivers in the Spring Cup series. It was just great to be part of it. In the end, he overcame a wreck in the heat races to pull off a creditable finish. Uh, I, I got, got into the fence in uh, turn three there in the heat and uh, just crazy, but just gave me a lot of control. Um, so we had to fix that and then we started the max for the feature. Uh, but, you know, just stayed out of trouble and learned a lot and had a lot of fun. Finished uh, 14th, I think. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders night before the 500. After the break, we'll be back with Andrew Clark and Tony Wetlock. And then later, in the White Flag Lap, we find out what the V8 Supercar Chaplain does for the series. Controversy Corner is next, when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen from the Stone Brothers Racing SP Tools. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the Vad Insiders night before the 500 and joining us for this round table is from P101 Andrew Clark and from Racefax Tony Wedlock and uh, guys an interesting qualifying uh, system that we see at this race every year Andrew um, do you think the fans understand it Oh, I can't see how they could understand it I mean I think it's fascinating personally but you really need to be standing around timing screens um, you need to have knowledge and information to really understand it but yeah, I think anything that's different is good, and um, I quite like it. But um, as I say, I don't think you'd really understand if you're out there in Punterland. Would it be better if we just had the qualifying, fastest car starts at the front, they do their 14 laps with a pit stop without, we can keep that rule even though it's a joke, and then restart the race with the cars in the position as they finished after 14 laps, Tony? No, I don't think so. I think the great thing about the qualifying system as it is is that both drivers are involved in determining where the car starts. And as it is two car as it is two driver race, that's actually what should happen. Two parts of it though. One is the, the fans at the uh, racetrack don't get to know what's happening really because audio systems don't work very well. And two is that V8 supercars in their 12 years of uh, being involved in this category have never really showed a concern about keeping the fans 
you know, knowledgeable on what's happening by having a position tower, as is at Bathurst, which has been there for 20-plus years. So they keep on saying, yes, we're pricing it and costing it, but they still haven't done it. So if that was here, that would make things much better. The system grew up... No, the, no, the, the category grew up enormously this year when it went to races and events and not rounds. We got rid of that stupid 3-by-20-minute category. It's not dirt track racing at the back of Warrnambool anymore. It's a major category in the world. We have 200 Ks, and we don't get out of bed for anything less. So I think it's great, and that it's good the way it is. We have different qualifying systems here in Bathurst and top 10 shootouts. Doing them only once a year, or maybe twice, that's great. But the system as it is, the only part of it I don't agree with is championship points. Championship points for those qualifying races, that doesn't make sense. Put the championship points back into the 500k race and take them out of the qualifying race. That's the only change I'd make to it. Yet, as we heard in the news, the drivers are all happy to have points because they know it'll become a bigger farce without it. You're talking about a bunch of people who it's introduced to have an option tyre and now they want every race to be the option tyre. Hang on, that was done to mix up the racing, not to have a softer compound tyre. They forgot. You, I mean, you don't ask drivers about this thing. I mean, they'll whinge and complain about everything given the possibility. The tomato sauce is too hot. You know, the sausage rolls are too cold. Forget asking them. Tell them what they're racing and what they're racing for. Well, I think the only time you would pay attention to the drivers on that score is if it actually made a difference to the way they raced, and I don't think it does. So um, I'm with Tony. I think just forget about what the drivers say. They're not sitting in crowdland watching. They're not sitting here trying to write stories about what's going on. All they're concerned about is how much fun they're having and whether it's affecting their championship, and that's all I care about. But is it V8E or is it V8 supercars, as in WWE? Ah, WWE, World world Wrestling, is it? Is that what it is? No, yeah, I mean, I think it has become too antiseptic, as Andrew's hinting at. It has become too, you know, too sanitised that, you know, there's not not enough racing and rubbing. I mean, I'm not suggesting that Paul Morris... Um, uh, change of position uh, strategy he used was right in that first race, but it wasn't. He made a mistake, and unfortunately, the mistakes. He had a crack at it, yeah, but it'd be better if um, that they were rubbing and you know not charging or ploughing. Well, that was Russell has been making uh, headlines right from the moment he got here when. Uh, Perhaps he's uh, relaxed and comfortable as a former Prime Minister, as you said, but he doesn't fit into the car with Russell Ingall like he should, and he decided to pull the pin and put Tim Slade. Probably for Russell, a slightly better move. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I must admit, when I heard Paul was in the car with him, I thought, geez, at least Paul's fast, but then you think, but what's Paul going to do that's going to impact on the end result? So, in some ways, it's good, and in some ways, it's not. I mean, I would love to have seen the dude and, and, and Rusty together. Uh, yeah, I think they've they both got good aggressive racing styles and I think it would have worked out all right in the end of the day. But if you think about it, Paul hasn't done a lot of ridiculous things at endurance races. You know, you don't see him hunting down people like he did in Bahrain at Bathurst or Phillip Island. So, you know, I think he would have been all right. And uh, even today, like, it didn't cost him, it only cost somebody else, didn't it? Tony? Yeah, I mean, Paul's races, whatever it is, whatever car, whatever category, he'll have a go. He's out there to enjoy himself. He's not trying to build a career. He's he's doing something he loves doing, um, you know. And unfortunately, it does impact on those who are trying to do things that build a career. Um, and you know, Russell certainly would have wanted to defend his position in the championship because clearly he's got only a short time left and wants to make sure he goes out at least in the in the top ten or higher. Well, we get to race one, and uh, interestingly enough, it was Jack Daniels Racing, Todd Kelly 
who gets the uh, team's first victory, although Todd was quite <coughs> measured by it whilst he was so excited. He said only half the drivers were out there. Yeah, and certainly I think you'd feel a bit like that at times. But as you said before earlier on, it's a strange setup. You know, some people had pit stops and some people don't, and blah blah blah. But you know, Todd led from the front uh, all the way through it, and Rick was doing well in the second race until it looked like he banged the car over a curb, I think, and, and ripped something off underneath it. So, you know, they found a bit of speed. And I think somebody was saying to me this morning, why, why is it that teams like that? suddenly come together at places like this and it's because this is where they put all their eggs into like if they don't have a lot or they're starting out from scratch like they did last year essentially you know you're developing you're putting the thing together and eventually you get to a point where you say this is the line in the sand you know this is when it's going to have to perform so we stop our mucking around and uh, let's get it all in let's put all the bits and pieces in that we've got we've got them going what a surprise, a Hawthorne person saying there's a line in the sand. But, Tony, uh, it is you, you, a, a good friend of yours in uh, Mr Perkins always said uh, a, a Bathurst is worth more than the championship. Yeah, in fact, you raised a point uh, before, it was something I didn't um, um, really talk about, and that was something that I've believed for a long time, is that it would be so much better for the championship if every driver stayed in their whole car, their own car at the Enduros, and that they then had to go and find the right partner. Um, it would mean that we have 32 cars that are, you know, maybe not going for a win, but certainly far more than the five or six as it is now. Better opportunities for the co-drivers as well to come in and, you know, have a real crack at this thing instead of just knowing that they're going to, you know, top ten would be nice. You know, like you bring somebody in and put them in with Win Cup or Lounge, yeah, they got a serious chance to win the thing, and I reckon it'd be great. That's personally, if I was doing endurance races, I'd be saying that's it. You will run your car, and you'll find a co-driver. Yes. But that's the thing. You start getting the case of, oh, top ten would be nice, but in the real world, that's really a top twenty. Well, <laughs> the thing that always fascinates me is the team owners keep coming up with the reasons why not to do it. Is oh, because the cost of co-drivers would go up. Well, for God's sake, I mean, you know, the market forces will determine what, how much Craig Baird puts in his lolly jar, you know? And, and, you know, if he's able to get more money by the fact that he's in high demand, well, that's terrific. But it's another part of the, the way in which it has to be managed. And drivers actually say to me, so, oh, yeah, I don't want to put my championship in with you know, another driver's hands. I want to have my regular teammate sort of in the car with me. But hang on. The young kid on the rattle gun on the left rear wheel, the championship's in his hands. So why the hell is it any different when he's putting a driver in his place that's not in the championship all year? That's part of his job as a, the driver of that car, to make sure that the guy does a good job. So they yeah, really... Honestly, sh- though, there's the, if you hunt it around, you, you can't tell me you can't find 32 other guys not in this series who will be quite capable of doing that job. Yeah. You know, there are plenty around, and it's just about the guys, the team owners... Um, waking up to it and I think you know we talking about the crowd before trying to understand this A and B qualifying system you know does the crowd really understand why there's no car number one out there this weekend that all of a sudden we've gone back to triple eight and you know two guys are in it and then there's double eight and you know like it's all about trying to make it easy to understand easy to digest and uh, I think that I'm with Tony I'd much rather see them have their own car Mm. Okay, now uh, just before we go to the break here we'll talk about the two qualifying races on the other side but what I found interesting was something that you both touched on then was Todd Kelly said to me today he said when he last ran with Rick he was so conscious about not ruining Rick's championship that it really impacted on the way he drove Bathurst he said he didn't go as hard when there was a a choice between pushing it for the win and making sure I got the finish Mm. I was trying to protect Rick's championship 
Um, yeah, well, it, I mean, that's all part of this game. I mean, it's managing all the components. And, and I mean, the, the whole thing about motorsport is it's the largest team sport there is in the world. Nowhere else do you get 20, 30, 40, 50 people, in the case of you know, Formula One, 800 people trying to put you know, a driver on the bloody track. And yet, the whole thing is focused on that one who's in the lens. You know, I mean, there should be a much better job in showing the whole infrastructure that goes into what making that car fast out there on the track and the fact that another guy has to equally be brought up to speed and that, you know, there should be more done to try and ensure that, you know, the development drivers, there should be more development drivers in these other cars, guys who are at least doing seven rounds a year and helping those guys get up to speed. There's, a, there's another um, sea change coming with at least three or four drivers, maybe maybe not three or four, but two or three drivers going out of the series at the end of this year. You know, we won't name names because... No, no, no. I'll, I'll name one, Tony Gerberto. Alberto, but he's not a lack of talent is going out of it, you know, and it's lack of a, a contract and, a, and a, a wreck. He's not going out of it because of old age. You no. know, I mean, there's a couple of guys who are starting to crack on and the, uh, and the results are drying up and, you know, you look down the grid there and you say, well, you know, I mean, Russell Ingall's just signed on for another two years, but you know, what's Murphy's contract situation? It's not like he's going all that great and he's out-qualified by Mark Scaife today. Who has retired. Who has retired, yeah. So, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there and, and, and one of the things is you can put a young guy in the car so long as he's faster than the old guy, but you're not going to find the young guy who's faster unless you give him a chance. But hang on, there's a couple of lines in Russell's contract that don't have anything to do with actually getting behind a wheel and then the fact that he is good in a TV commercial, he does promote the brand well, and he's a real super cheap bargain. <laughs> <laughs> we need to take a break on that note. We'll be back with more in just a few moments. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Rod Nash Racing. You're listening to V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to V8 Insiders. The night before the 500, and we have race faxes, Tony Wedlock and... Andrew Clark from P101, and, and guys, let's talk about these races. We touched on Todd Kelly getting that win, but he was howled down all the way by Craig Lowndes, who went into that race expecting to have to pit. Yeah, it's funny, they, yeah, they had no speed in qualifying the 888 car, and uh, they came out and obviously they fiddled around and they you know, unlocked it, as 888 normally does, and you know, Lowndes had speed, but what was impressive about Lowndes, I think, was that there wasn't really any drop-off in that speed. Like, he held it all the way through the 14 laps, and was able to hunt down Todd near the end there. I think if he'd gone a few more laps, um, perhaps he would have got that one as well. But uh, you know, race consistency looks very good for Triple Eight, I think. And Tony, of course, then you had the uh, Toll Holden Racing team sitting up there in third. Yes, indeed. And, and, and again, it's that strength of um, Will's come on as a qualifier, getting his first pole, and now showed again that you know he's in the uh, front two rows. And, and with Garth, who's always done well here, that they're able to um, bring the car home and, and get that sort of place. The other impressive one was um, Van Gisbergen, who made sort of eight places, 
uh, a number of those from pit stops, but um, still certainly uh, made some impressive uh, gains. And Russell Ingall was right there behind him. Yeah, it was. You know, I think the second race I thought was quite good, quite entertaining, watching a few things going on. And, uh, um, you know, Van Gisbergen was certainly good. He was passing cars, which was good, and he was happy to get in there and mix it and dice it with, uh, you know, wind cups and so forth. Um, but the other one I think that was quite impressive in that last race was Fabian Coulthard. Well, hold on, we haven't got the other last race yet. Oh, let's stay Still on the first race. race. Oh, crikey, uh, now you've got me going. Yeah, because I also think uh, Dumbrell was disappointing after having a pole position, ending up down in sixth place. But uh, David Reynolds having probably his best run of the season up into seventh, not on soft tyres, I'll add. No, it was quite good. I mean, a very good run, especially if you want to believe some of the rumours that are rolling around the paddock this weekend. But... Uh, you know, I think those uh, HRT cars or the Walkinshaw cars, whatever you want to call them, they're good machinery. Um, and I think that just shows it, you know. Um, as you say, Paul Dumbrell, a little disappointing, but a uh, great qualifying run. Um, you know, things can go wrong, little things, you know. Everybody wants to tweak a car here and there, and sometimes your tweaks are good, sometimes your tweaks are bad. Tony, what else came out of race one for you, or race A for you? Um, Rogers, that uh, the part-timers actually did better than the uh, the full-timers did. They seem to Bezzy and Ritter again, and they've qualified the highest of all the part-timers this weekend. I think they're in eighth place overall um, for the main race. Um, I a chat to, to Gary Rogers earlier. I reckon Greg Ritter's one of the great wasted talents of this class. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so much potential. You know, He gets in the car at the drop of a hat and he's as quick as a regular. You know, And how much more could he have achieved if, uh, if a couple of things had gone his way or... Uh, hadn't got in his way, I suppose, is the other way to put it. Yeah, we all know the reasons why we're not going to talk about it on air because it's only, you know. But, yeah, I mean, he's a talent, as, as Bezzy was. I mean, he unfortunately burned himself with, uh, you know, too many crashes too early. Um, but, you know, they're, they're one of the greatest like, players. Oh, Ambrose. Yeah, and that's the other thing. He got, he, he yeah. got into a team at the time where they get a superstar. Yeah. And uh, the superstar yeah. makes you look bad, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, indeed. No matter how good you are. But, you know, the, the part-timers, when you look at it... Um, Luffy and Webb. Now Webb's actually got he's driving better than he ever has before this year. He's won races and rounds now and pole positions in the development series and clearly is benefiting from being benchmarked against you know, Warren Luff was good enough to race in the category full time and he obviously is in that same category. He's, he's a no miss Charlie. Put him in the car and he goes and does it and each year, each time this year he's been at a Friday practice A, he's been fastest almost. Yeah, out qualifying some of the regulars who yeah, uh, yeah, who are uh, in there every week. Mm. Moving on to race B, and as you said, the one thing oh, we sorry. didn't touch on there is Steve Johnson. I mean, oh, um, shocking start. Problems off the grid, but both the car eighteen had a troubled start as well. And uh, from what I understand, it's something to do with the engine mapping. They were trying something a bit different this weekend, which uh, Why I'm do you assuming. Start trying things at this race. Everyone's been trying things leading up to this oh, race. I think if you were going to be successful in in motor racing, you're going to try something every race, aren't you? I mean. The minute you think you've got it right, you, uh, you've lost interest, is my view. Um, but yeah, it just didn't work, so uh, they'll go back and reprogram it and hopefully come out OK tomorrow or go back to Plan B or something. But um, I think his drive was quite impressive. You know, he, he was dead last in the first corner. I mean, lucky not to get cleaned up a half a dozen times, I reckon. And uh, he started uh, passing people, and uh, I think he made about eight spots before he did his pit stop, and he ended up fourth out of the cars yes. that had stopped and that was critical to them you know to get the good grid slot because uh, it was a great recovery from something that could have been an absolute disaster <clears throat> and this is where this unique format of you know having one pit stop in one race and not in the other if you've had a bad run you can actually make something out of it um, and that's what those guys did today i'm just wondering you know, the csr contract <clears throat> says you have to have a, a fuel stop in every race i've just seen race a and b without a fuel stop tony they're not races these are qualifying races yes 
Yeah. All right, let's go to race B now. And, of course, Mark Winterbottom started at the front. He was the fastest man in the driver B um, qualifying, and he led it from there. And fascinating that um, all the talk about... Um, the entire new compound and all those things. It's not a new compound, it's a new batch of it's not construction has changed. Um, there might be minor variations, but by crikey that it's yeah. coming out of a new mould. That's yeah. the only difference. That's it's right. the same compound yes. but yeah. it's a new mould, which means that the uh, the ripples across the tire are now not there because they're splitting the mould differently. Yeah. It's, and it's it's really a big to do about nothing if you ask Fitzy or any of the guys down at the end of the day, like this is one of the things that bugs me is that like and if we go back to what we were talking about drivers before, I mean they sit down like they complain about this, they complain about that. Who cares? You've all got the same thing. It was yeah, only a week, but it was only a race ago that everyone up on the podium was saying how good the Dunlops were. So, you know, how quickly times change. Oh, they're very fickle. Very fickle. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's easier easy to blame a tyre than it is a setup when you haven't got on top of it. You know, I mean, there it was. The part-timers in the second Rogers car were quicker than the regulars. Um, and there was a reason because so the others, done the job well. yeah, the other ones didn't have a predisposed idea that, oh, this it's is going to grip like this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Fabian Coulthard, uh, do you want to speak first? Because I know that uh, Andrew is keen. No? Oh, I, think, I thought Coulthard was good. I mean, he uh, has been all year too. Yeah, he has been. I think he's been, like, even last year. I mean, I remember uh, when we were going down to Tassie two years ago when uh, Paul Cruikshank pulled me aside at the pub at Tullamarine Airport and he said, you know, what do you think of Fabian? I said, oh, I've got no idea. Um, I've watched him this year and I thought he looked like a bit of a dud. Um, but that was in the Paul Morris car and it was, you know, it was a dog of a car. But at um, least he didn't uh, stuff up Paul's championship. No, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, so he, but he, he said then that you know he was thinking of going with Fabian over Alex Davison, and uh, I, you know personally I probably would have gone for somebody else at that stage, and he did that, and I think he's um, he's made a very good decision. I mean Fabian, I reckon last year was really good, and this year he's getting even better. So you can imagine what those guys would do if they had a few more bucks in their pocket as well. Um, Fabian's turned himself into a hundred man. 100 by team owners. Yeah, and as you would. I mean, he's done really well. He doesn't, doesn't do stupid things. He's fast. Um, apparently, according to his Facebook page, uh, transvestites find him attractive. Oh. <laughs> That's on his Facebook page? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. There's a few drivers that really have to remember their Facebook page is a public forum, not just friends and family. Oh, no, I think he, I think he was having a bit of a chuckle over it, but uh, I did take the time to remind him that he's a very attractive man. Oh. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> moving along, Jason Bright, he came back from the dude giving a love kiss to uh, his teammate Carl Reinler and uh, came back with a very strong third and he'll be uh, very happy with that result because uh, it seems every time he uh, gets near the front someone has a go at the car. Yeah, unfortunate indeed, unfortunate indeed. He's probably going to, you know, sort of uh, be in a trouble situation with Carl will be sitting back there because Carl unfortunately hasn't got enough laps in his cars and that you know that'll be the penalty that um, Jason has in putting him in the car beside him but you I know I believe um, Carl's never driven here either so in a V8 supercar yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. four wheel three car yeah. and he said he, it was a classic when I was asking him about it he said I found a, this track has a whole bunch more corners <laughs> because in a Formula 3 you it's go around flat, flat in a yeah. lot of places he said the hayshed's actually... Do you know you have to slow down for the hayshed? You know? He said, you don't do that in a Formula 3 in the wet. And this comes back to, I think, what we were talking about earlier, about you know being able to bring on the young talent and help them go. Like, you know, the, the Fujitsu series, or is that what it's called? Yeah, now? that's it. The development series, as I still call it. You know, it was called that by 
whoever for a reason and it was to try and bring the talent through and allow it to take that next step and you know I think it's not doing it at the moment um, but you know if you had this system going that Tony was talking about earlier you wouldn't do that and you would also find that um, Jason Bright might not be as disadvantaged as some of the other teams who are able to pair up Win Cup and Lowndes that all of a sudden you know Win Cup would be with Thompson and Lounge would be with Simonson, and that would be a little bit of a little. And I'll tell you what, then you'd have two cars up the front rather than just one. Yeah, well, definitely, but that's the same as every round, isn't it? Guys, uh, any other noticeable runners out of race B that you want to talk about? And uh, it, it, it's interesting, as you said, but Andrew Thompson in the Bodlo car was right up there. But once you have to temper that with the fact that he didn't have to pit this race. Um, I'm just trying to actually look and see where Priu sort of ended up. Well, he did DNF'd because he was out on that first lap incident. Oh, right, yeah, okay. Um, James Thompson, I didn't didn't sort of... I was talking Andrew, sorry. Andrew Thompson, yeah, okay. Um, Very specific this weekend because it's a few double Um, No, I'm just trying to look and see where the... the, uh, the European flyings are... Well, yeah, Prelu, uh, Prelu or Prelu, Prio, yeah. Yeah, he was back in 28, so yeah. that doesn't help Dave Reynolds' great result in race one. And his time is 36.9, so he's two and a half off uh, fastest lap, so that's very good. Um, it's Bayless really... is, a, is, a, is a great marketing ploy, and yes. that's where it starts and finishes, isn't it? Oh, no, he'll climb up there. Uh, you know. He can learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's aiming for a V8 supercar career, so you've got to start somewhere. Um, you're going to make the swap over, and uh, you know, you, you, if you're going to do it in public, public's going to judge you. And uh, you know, but people need to pace. They, 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 sorry, not pace. People need to have patience with people like that. Yes. One of the interesting things, I mean, um, was the way in which Roland Dane has used the Europeans, and you know, very successfully getting. I can't remember. Ivan, not wasn't Ivan Muller. It was. Well, yeah, he used Ivan, and Ivan won at the last Sandown. Yes, with Lance. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons that he does it, that uh, Roland puts him in, is to get greater coverage over in Europe. And, and I think it's a terrific idea. And it, it should be really, you know, in, in, increased and, and, you know, enthused and, and brought on. And that's the other reason why you'd actually look at bringing in those guys to use them with one of the quick regulars. And I have to say, important. he's already paying them too. Mm. That's another reason. Yeah, but most importantly is that, you know, often the quality of the wags just goes through the roof. I mean... James Thompson's misses is special. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, there's a whole conversation I can't go into between <laughs> Boris said and Paul Morris last oh. year. <laughs> but, uh, we need to wrap this one up. So no guess and go this week, but we will have the big question. Tony, who's going to win? Oh. Who, who's going to win or who could win or who would I like to win? Or no, I'm win? asking who's going to. Who's like, going to you win? know, someone might actually turn up at V8 bet. Right, okay, well I reckon that uh, it, it's about time that Winterbottom and Stevie Richards did it. And I think they've got the elements there to do it. They've actually got one of the smartest blokes around pit lane to make their calls, and that's where they've been making troubles. You know, um, that they've been making wrong decisions at the coalface, at the absolute coalface. And Campbell there will probably have a stick in his back pocket and hit anyone over there who says, bring the car in now, and he'll say no. So I think that's, that's my call. Um, strangely, I'm actually with Tony. My tip is is for Winterbottom and Richards. Um, I think that you know things are coming together. I mean, if you look at the points, Winterbottom actually won the round at Queensland. If we if we do the old system, he was the round winner there. So, you know, they're getting on top of it. They're fast. Um, 
and as you say, Campbell Little makes a big difference to the operation, I think, and uh, overall I think their motivation levels are high, but I think the other factor is that they're not in the championship hunt. You know, I think if it starts to rain and the weather gets a bit ugly tomorrow, people will be starting to think, how about those 300 championship points? You know, can I afford to lose 280 points? Can I afford to lose whatever? At the end of the day, Richards and Winterbottom, go for it. Um, the other one I think will do really well tomorrow is Courtney and, R- and Johnson. Well, I picked them on Thursday, Pretty Boy and Junior, and uh, I do think that uh, I, I do think that they are going to be hard to toss because once again, really not fighting for the championship. But Pretty Boy and Junior is like Tony and me, isn't it? Yes, but <laughs> I think uh, Junior might actually. <laughs> No, Tony? Pretty boy, I'm junior. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. I was looking at the point score. <laughs> yes. Final thought. Final thought. Um, well, I think it should be a really great race. And certainly, while I say that um, I think it's the uh, FBR might win, there are certainly five or six cars. I mean, you know, obviously the um, Lowndes Win Cup, um, the, F- the uh, HRT car um, are really powerful, and, um, and a number of others. Uh, you know, I think that. The Kellys, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And the interesting thing is, of course, the Kellys have um, have worked really hard on their engines. They've um, they've had a chassis package from Perkins, and and they're certainly coming into the year that you know they've had to work very very hard to make sure the whole thing works well. And I think they're certainly due for a podium. Um, and if it's wet, watch that fish, Van Gisbergen. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we need to wrap it up there. The White Flag Lap is up next on this night before the 500. We go for some divine intervention when we speak with the chaplain of the V8 Supercars, Gary Coleman. I hope you'll stay with us. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from the Valvoline Cummins team. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. On this week's White Flag Lap, we speak to the V8 Supercar chaplain, Gary Coleman, and of course asked him, what does he actually do? Speciously, fix the weather, but right now, it's not doing too good. <laughs> um, well, people care, pastoral care behind the scenes, you know, there's uh, not, sometimes there are personal situations and catching up with some folks to help encourage them, and uh, sometimes when there's an incident, obviously, look for the wife or the mother and see who's the most nervous. Uh, those kind of things. I know uh, over in the United States we always see an invocation and occasionally we get to see you doing yeah. that. And uh, when I was over there, the uh, chaplain always had a ceremony on the Sunday morning before race meetings. Is that something you hold uh, a session here? Well, when we first started doing this about 23 years ago, we tried that, but they had to be at 7 o'clock in the morning, you see. But in the States, where there's only one big race in the afternoon, there's nothing to do in the morning. So my chaplain counterparts will have three and 400 people turn up for church. I wish. <laughs> but here, when our program starts at 7.30 in the morning, doesn't finish at 5. No, it's something we just can't do to have a church service. How did you, uh, you put your hand up for this sort of gig? Well, I used to be a mechanic years ago and used to raise a go-kart, and so I had a background interest in the sport. 
And when the sports chaplaincy began about 26 years ago in uh, cricket and rugby league, and I heard a report on it, up went my hand. And so it was just on uh, back in 1986 I became the chaplain at Amaru Park to begin with and Bathurst, Oran Park, and then it spread from there. And now I've got 36 chaplains on my team around the country, all in motorsport. Obviously, uh, you have a unique relationship with all the teams and, and drivers and crewmen then. Well, yeah, they're people, normal people like anybody else, and good friendships develop. And for some of those friendships, have become very close. Others, like a normal people, they watch you at a distance, and you know. But yeah, I've been to know around these boys now for quite a long while, and some back before the supercar series developed into what it is now. But then since then, yep, and married a couple of them. Married Stephen Johnson and his wife Bree uh, a couple of years back. So we get to do some of those things as well. One of the fun things, of course, with our supercars is to go for a ride. And uh, on Friday at Phillip Island, you had a chance to jump into a car that uh, probably is a bit close to your heart here with uh, the Cedars boys. Well, it was with Andrew driving, Andrew Fisher, and the Jesus All About Life uh, promotion on it. Yeah. Yes, I'd, uh, it was a lot of fun yesterday. I'd been in one before, but on a wet track a couple of years ago. But this one on a dry track, really appreciated the trip around the track. It was very good. And you have to say you'd have some uh, real help with the sponsor and the chaplain in the car there. Absolutely. We thought we had a good day going for us, you know. Lap time was pretty good. <laughs> all in all, obviously, the less people are coming to you with problems, the better it must be said for uh, the V8 Supercar Society. Uh, well, it is, but then again, you know, normal... Uh, people recognise that our sport is a community of people. And as in any community, there are issues and concerns and cares that people have. Some are very private, and I'll catch up with some folks and been helping to encourage and counsel and pray with them uh, over the periodic out of the years. And others where it may be a team manager says, one of my teams have had an incident, a serious thing in the family. Uh, can you have a little word with them, try and keep their focus on the day, uh, which is what the focus is for here. And then oftentimes we'll do that and then maybe catch up with them later on. And one of the more serious issues at the moment is that the driver for Paul Morris's race team had a bad car accident up in the Gold Coast a couple of weeks back. And I rang my fellow up in Brisbane. He went and visited him in hospital yesterday. Got word back that he had a good visit back to the team to say. So that kind of networking of caring for people is uh, what is the thing that really is necessary for us to be actually what you do with the teams around is much greatly appreciated. And, and that is what uh, fraternity is all about, isn't it? Well, it is. And this is a community. You know, this is like a, a, a circus or a town that rolls around and with all those kind of personal needs. And then when things are more serious, like we do have the track, then, uh, you know, we do the visit to the hospital, look after people, and uh, when it begins, uh, unfortunately, the really bad things and tragedies we've had over the past years, then uh, our role is much more intense, much more critical, uh, much more vital on the day and for weeks afterwards. And uh, in some cases, we are still dealing with some officials and people have been involved with the traumatic events of the last couple of years who still are having some degree of after-effect from those. Obvious, well, I'm assuming that you're non-secular because uh, mm. with a community, they have a whole range of beliefs. Mm. So you're able to cater for all those different, um, all those different faiths. Being a Baptist, I can cater for anybody. <laughs> uh, well, the reality is that this is a, a, a cosmo, a small reflection of an Australian community where a lot of people have no spiritual background, no church background, 
And so in many cases, it's a lot of uh, new stuff for some people and uh, begin to share the gospel with people and help them know what the scripture's about and what Jesus is all about. We can use the Jesus is all about life campaign as a, as a springboard for it. But for some, you know, having no background at all, but the personal care uh, that is seen in the pastoral attention given to people, then out of that comes the conversation about to pray with people, let them get to know God is real to them, and they can get to know him on a personal basis. And throughout the 32 members of the ministry, are there a lot of diversity in, in faiths and belief? Yes, well, there are. Um, we've got a cross-section of Baptist Church of Christ and Uniting Church and Anglican people and Salvation Army and uh, charismatic folks right across the board. Um, and the one good thing about that is we're all focused on this individual care, and, of course, we all, all like the smell of exhaust, and so it gives us a commonality with that. Uh, but the reality is that people recognise a place for God in their lives and it's an interesting thing within the engineering dimension of things when some people think, well, evolution's the thing. I can't find an engineer who believes that something wasn't designed, planned, put together and monitored. <laughs> That's my punch for the lighter for the day, you know. Yeah. Well, Gary, a pleasure to meet you and catch up with you here on the V8 Insiders. Great stuff and enjoy the day and like the noise of the tyres and the rubber. My thanks to Gary Coleman, also to Tony Wetlock and Andrew Clark. We'll be back on Thursday with our regular show, but on behalf of the team on this night before the 500, we hope you enjoy the race tomorrow. Until next time, as the checker flag waves, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.